0: Today's reading is from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 40. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword— whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Amen.
1: Good morning and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. This is our Online edition. Uh, Last weekend, with a lot of other people, I streamed and I watched the original cast of the Broadway show Hamilton. And in Hamilton, one of the themes there is that Hamilton was so concerned about his legacy. He was so concerned about how history was going to view him, so he was always writing like he was running out of time. Throw in his personal story about how he had to overcome adversity, he had to grow up penniless, orphaned, without any parents to help him. And yet he became this wild success. We, we hear stories like that and we say, I want that. I want a story like that for myself. We want to enter stories like that. Our text today specifically addresses this. Because the writer of Hebrews is talking to people who are suffering. The hardships of, of life are all around them. And he's saying, if you are a people of faith, you can live in these fearful times. Today's text today is a, a climax of what he's been saying for the past 30 verses. He's been saying, look at these heroes of the faith. Look at their deeds. Look at their lives. But in the very end, he flips. He makes a switch that to a great dramatic effect that if we understand this change, if we understand this move and we actually grasp it for ourselves and we embody that, it'll set the course of our lives. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, that's the promise that's laid out here. So let's look at three things today. Let's look at the stories of faith that we want, the stories of faith that we don't want, and then how to be both ready and triumph in either case. I'll say that again. We're going to look at the stories of faith that we want, the stories of faith that we don't want, and then how to actually triumph in either case. First, the stories of faith that we want. I just taught a catalyst class, our our last one um, of the of the season, and it was about how to read culture. And what we saw is that Americans tend to read the data that's out there through different stories. So, in relationship to the coronavirus, there was a study that was done recently that showed that conservatives and liberals are actually experiencing the exact same. Uh, amount of cases around them, they're experiencing the same amount of sick family members, their experiences, the data points, are very similar. They're, They're in the same lived world. And yet, constantly, conservatives downplay the severity of the virus while liberals are upplaying it. And the researchers concluded that since everything else was actually equal, that what was happening is, is these both parties are reading the data through their ideological differences conservatives are believe the government is suspect they generally don't want government involvement in, whereas liberals would actually enjoy and want those policies and they so they are reading the virus through both these stories why because we might think we're factual people. We might think we're, we're reasonable individuals. And yet we pick stories, we pick the grid to read our lives through. And the Hebrew writer knew this. He knew that we have this tendency. And the people in, his, in this text like to read themselves to a very particular type of story. The story of valor, the story of honor, the story of triumph. And so what the writer does here is he shows us actually there's two lists. Not one, there's two lists of people. Two storylines with two different groups of individuals. The first one is verses 32 through 35, whereas the second list is verses 35 through 38. There's a big difference between both of them. The first list are the stories of faith that we want. These are great examples of faith. They're, they are, uh, at first, if you look at the text, there's six individuals that are given, but then there's also deeds of individuals, those who conquered kingdoms, those who administered justice, Those who shut the mouths of lions. And this all happened, it says, through their weaknesses that were turned into strength. In other words, what the author is doing here is saying, I'm going to give you the best stories of faith. The best stories are never one day there was a boy and this boy was the strongest boy of them all. And because he was the strongest, he lived happily ever after. That's a terrible story. It's a terrible story. No plot twist, no suspense, no change. The good stories are always out of defeat comes triumph. Each one of the characters given to us in this text had deep flaws, and yet it was turned to strength. So, for instance, to conquer kingdoms, uh, Gideon had only 300 men to win over the Midianites or to administer justice, David. He was the youngest of all the sons. He was a fugitive for a lot of his life. He lived every day not knowing if that was going to be his last day. And yet, out of defeat, he becomes king. And as he becomes king, he can now do justice. To shut the mouths of lions, that's clearly referenced to Daniel. When he is left for dead, his life is over, and yet out of death comes life. Or look at verse 34. It talks about quenching the fury of the flames. That is a reference to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, most commentaries say. And that story is they're they're thrown into the furnace. And it was so hot, the people who actually pushed them in, they died immediately. And yet they were walking around in that furnace unhurt. Or go to verse 35, it says women received back their dead. Probably a dual reference to both 1 Kings 17 and 2 Kings 4 where Elijah and Elisha, in two separate accounts, raise boys from the dead. And you keep saying, okay, you're saying probably right now, so what? Okay, these are all these stories. What do they hold in common? They all have the same story arc. That there's death to life. There's defeat to victory. There's going from being a nobody to actually being a somebody. And these are the stories that we want. These are the success stories. These are the stories that you know give us meaning that we say, I want to have those for myself. Everybody wants to hear a story where uh, the person's going to die, and a lot of people prayed, and there was a lot of effort, and and out of that, the person now lives. Nobody wants to hear the story where, where you know, we all prayed, we tried really, really hard, and the person died anyway. No, what we want is, I had $2 left in my name, and... I, I, I put in the stock market, and I, 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 I kind of went eeny, meeny, miny, mo, and I, I picked Apple and Amazon, and now, through God at my side, I am a successful person. That's what we want to see. That's what we want to hear. We want that. I'm somebody. There's a reason why Hollywood, most of the movies, have a happy ending. I think I saw a study years ago about how 90% of Hollywood movies have a happy ending. Why? Because we want that. We want the success. We want the triumph. We want the victory. And by the way, side point, this is why a lot of us have a very simplistic faith. We have a very simplistic understanding of faith because we think faith is just just praying to God in supplication. Dear God, give me what I need. I'm going to work hard for you. I'm going to believe in you. And um, you say, if I just have enough faith, that I can do anything. Right? And you might, you might even think of the biblical passage where if you just have faith like a mustard seed, uh, you, know, you can move mountains. That's what I'm going to do. And um, that's, by the way, a reference to Matthew 17, 20, which is one of the most misused passages in the Bible. It's the, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, that you can say to this mountain, move from here and it will be moved. But, but but this is not primarily about your faith. This, this is what we always read it through our lens. This is actually about a, the, the, It's about how your faith is in a God who's so great that He could actually do great things. See, if your faith is really in Him and in Him in Him and not in what you can do about mountains, then you would never ask to move a mountain for yourself. It's His mountain, not yours. All these people in the text that the Hebrew writer just gave us, these people are great not because they were great in and of themselves. They're great despite themselves. That's what the passage means when it says through whose weaknesses are turned into strength. If you read yourself only through these success stories, you'll be d- bitterly disappointed because there's actually a second list here, isn't there?
0: At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them. Which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq or... Join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube.
1: See, look at the second list of stories. These are stories of faith that we don't want. Look at verse 35. There's a, a change that happens. It says, there were others. This is an indicator that the writer is now switching gears there were, now, there were all these people famous. Here are some individual names. Here are some deeds that you actually probably know of. But now there were others who also lived by faith. But they didn't conquer kingdoms. They, didn't, uh, they weren't known for being renowned for ministering justice. They didn't shut the mouths of lions. They didn't walk through flames. No, there's this other list, this second list, says there are people, other people, but they were tortured for their faith. Because they believed, because they obeyed, because they trusted God. And they're they're, they're not even named, by the way. They're called others because their names are so inconsequential to um, history. And the list goes on down further, right? Those who were jeered, those who were flogged in verse 36, those who were imprisoned, those who were chained. See, if this was a reference to Paul, who was imprisoned and then released, he would be in the first list. But what we don't talk about as much is about John the Baptist, right? He was imprisoned. And when he was released, he was released without his head. So you you have Peter who was flogged and let go. But then you have Stephen who was flogged and then hung upside down, crucified upside down. So we all know about David's success. But what we don't talk about as much is about Jonathan, his best friend, Saul's son. Because of his faith, because of his character, because he stayed with his father, it killed him. And it did, it did kill him. See, I think what the writer is trying to get across here is David believed and trusted God and therefore he escaped the sword and death. Jonathan believed and trusted God and he got the sword and death because of that. There are there are many stories of faith where it all works out in the end. But there are many more stories of faith where it doesn't work out in the end. And yet faith and obedience can work out for you in the end. Yeah, you can topple the, the, the dragon, you can knock down oppression, you can combat the world, and you live. But just the same, you can try, you can strive, you can do everything through faith and prayer and obedience, and then you die of brain cancer. That's what he's saying. In regards to, there's a phrase in here, um, those who are tortured for refusing to be released... Uh, most believe this is a specific reference to the Maccabean martyrs during the second century BC. Um, this was recorded in Second Maccabees seven. You can look this up, where there was an Assyrian king who liked to make people eat ceremonially unclean meat that was against their faith, and he would uh, taunt them. And there was one particular story where there were seven brothers. Each one asked to deny the Lord. Each one asked. To renounce their faith, and when they when they don't, the, what, the text graphically describes mutilation, being stretched out on catapults, um, limbs going everywhere. Each one watches the other one die a gruesome death, and yet the mother is there, encouraging the sons all along. This is what she says. She says, "Filled with a noble, this is what it, the passage says, filled with a noble spirit." She said to them. It was not I who gave you life and breath. It was the creator of the world who devised the origin of all things, who will, in his mercy, give life and breath back to you again. And as she said this, they died. The passage is even more gruesome than I noted here, but what it's highlighting is that this is life. Life is hard. It's suffering and it's loneliness and sadness and depression and disconnection and hurt and heartache and injustice. Things are harder now in America than they have been in a long time for a lot more people. And yet as bad as it is, or as bad as it will be, or as bad as it can be, the question is, is then how can we face it? How can we live a life of faith in fearful times? And because you see this long list of people, because of their faithfulness, they're crushed. Everything went wrong, even though they obeyed, even though they, they trusted, even though they were faithful, and they died. How can we handle that? I think the hint is actually back in verse 35. And back in 35, it says, some women get back their sons, right? But um, and what's listed is, you know, it says some women get their sons back, but just listed was a woman, right? She had she had seven sons and she didn't get them back. And she doesn't bat an eye in that moment. The answer is a better resurrection, it says in the text. That she was hoping for a better resurrection. Now some sons were raised to life. We we already got that reference. But the one who was tortured again here, a better resurrection. What's a better resurrection? Well, think of the first two that was referenced. From Elisha and Elijah, or you can throw in Lazarus, right? He was raised from the dead as well. You see, what you see in in all three of those is they're raised from the dead. But here's a question: Are those individuals still alive today? Right? Is Lazarus hiding out in some cave somewhere that you know he's he, he's never going to die? No. Every single one of these individuals died later. Right? They were signs of the new life, but that. They didn't actually have the real thing. They came back, but then they died again. Everyone still dies. It's just a matter of when and where. And I've been reflecting on this a lot recently. It's, I, um, what are we asking for when we, when we pray for somebody who's sick and dying? If you go to Isaiah 38, what you see there is Hezekiah is crying out to God. And he asks for more years. And Hezekiah, I mean, God gives him, grants him 15 more years. But then that means all we're asking for is to prolong the inevitable. Is that you, can, you can't keep pain away, you know, forever. Death is coming. It comes for us all, but there is a better resurrection that this mother of seven sons was hoping for. This isn't a generalized faith. This isn't the kind of passive faith that New Yorkers might talk about over dinner conversation. No, she's hoping in a specific better resurrection, a, a hope. In a plan, if you go back to Second Maccabees seven, it says this. She says, "Do not fear this executioner, but but be worth your brothers and accept death, so that in his mercy I may recover you along with your brothers." So see what she's saying. This is the mother of seven lost sons, and she's saying, "You can let go, son, of your body, because we'll have it back." You can let go of your brothers because we're going to have them back. You can let go of your family because we're going to get them back. The mother in that text actually dies later that day. But if you hope in the better resurrection, I don't care if you have a a story of faith that you want. I don't care if you have a story of faith that you don't want. It will all be redeemed. You will get this world back. That isn't a generalized hope. That's the promise that this writer is alluding to that if you hold on to that promise of the future better resurrection, you can handle any good or any bad story that's going to come your way. Right? Because death isn't final. It doesn't have to have the last word anymore. Go back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king at the time said, bow down to this idol, worship me. Uh, Today, in different parts of culture, every culture says the same thing you know, honor this thing above God and then we'll let you into the power structures, then we'll let you into society. Every culture does that. And you know what they said? They said something along this. They said, oh, great king, which by the way, shows a level of deference and interaction with the cultural powers that be. They say, oh, great king, our God can deliver us from the flames. But if he doesn't, one of the most be- It's one of the most beautiful phrases in the Bible. But if not, we still are not going to bow down to you. Did you, you hear that balance? This is so balanced. Our God can, and we have signs and we have stories where he has delivered us from the evil of, and suffering of death. We know those stories are there. And we know that ultimately he will deliver us from the final death and suffering. But if he doesn't, we, in this life, we know that he will in the next. But if not, right? Don't put your faith in just your agenda for God. Put your faith in actually in God. I, I um, I watched a um, a recent Netflix series where one of the characters does the typical thing. They say, you know what? I believed in God, but and I prayed to him, but I didn't get the miracle. I didn't get what I asked for. And so you know what? Now I don't believe in God anymore because he didn't come through for me in the end. And what, what what many people, you know, I think many people say this at some point in their lives. But the truth is you actually didn't give up on God. What you did was you gave up on your agenda that you had for God. That's what you ended up doing. That all along you had been trusting your agenda that you had for him. But this text, this text is saying no matter what list that you are on, you now know, need to know that you can live but if not. I will not bow down. Yes, he can deliver us. Yes, he could deliver us. Yes, he's delivered other people in the past. And he might actually do it for me too. But you know what? But if not, I still will not bow down. I know that he will raise me up again one day. In in this life or the next, make sure, I guess my, my, my point to you is this, make sure you're not just believing in your agenda for God. Make sure you're actually believing in God. That's what you need to do. You need to make sure that you're actually believing in God. Uh, the way that you know that you are is that regardless of your story, maybe you have a story of success, maybe you're living a story of failure right now. But we need to believe all the way down that in the new heavens and new earth, the redemption and restoration of the f- of in the future, we can live in the now because we have that assurity. You and I don't need to see victory and triumph today because we know victory and triumph is coming tomorrow. You can try them no matter what story list that you find yourself on right now. Whether you are a wanderer in deserts, as the text says, in the mountains, or maybe you're the conquering of kingdoms right now. The only way forward for for this, the only way forward for you, where you don't live your life as a victim of your circumstances, where you don't blame somebody else for where you're at, is that be this type of person of faith. A person of faith lives their life. It doesn't just, you don't just respond to life. A person of faith uh, lives out a secure future in the here and now and the present. And so my question to you, I guess, is this, do you, is this how you live? Is this how you experience your life? Is this how you organize your life? Last point. How then can we be now ready for either story and triumph regardless? Right? How does this actually become real and effective in our lives? That's the question. Look at the very end of the passage. It says that there's, right, there, there's both story arcs here. People of success and the other people. Both lists of people, it says in verse 39, it says, None of them received what was promised. Right? And yet there's a plan for something better. Well, what was that? It means this. Whatever these two groups of people had, whatever they knew about God in general, that it was somehow going to work out in the end, that was enough for them to live incredibly rooted lives of faith. They were, they were able to live such great lives, even though they only vaguely knew somehow that God was going to work it out in the end. But we have something better, Better, the text says. In verse 40, it says, we have we already know what that better thing is. We have something they didn't actually have. We know how it actually works out. We know that God doesn't, how God does it in death and resurrection through Jesus. See, unlike all these other examples that are here, the true and real resurrection has already happened for us. What had allowed them to handle being burnt to death, wanderers in deserts, killed by kings, we actually have something better that could allow us to live even larger lives of faith. How? It's death and resurrection. See, in death, Jesus, through his death, through his wounds, dying on the cross. It wasn't just a symbol of his love. No, his original followers would have looked up at him on that cross, and that, and they would have seen their betrayal. They would have seen their denials. They would have seen their own cowardliness, their failures. And he did that for them. He died for that. And if you can look on the cross and see your personal failures there, your denials, the ways that you shun him, the way you ignore him, the way the way we live our lives, often without even him present or real. When we see that we're that we betrayed him in the same way, that shows he had to die for you. If Jesus thought though it was worth losing everything for you, don't you think it's okay to lose everything for him? Right? If you have that worth in his eyes, why don't you have that same worth? In your eyes of him. As for Jesus' resurrection, it means new life is to come. It's not just the proof, it's the foretaste. Jesus being raised from the dead means Jesus saying to all of us, if you make me the center of your life, every death that you're experiencing right now eventually will lead to ultimate resurrection. Every failure is just an entrance into greater glory. Every wrong turn is just one more way that God will right our ways. His resurrection, bodily, speaks to our own. So these heroes that led such great lives and only through a vague faith who wins and does great success, imagine, just imagine what we could do with ours. Because we already know how the story ends. We already know how it works out. We don't know when or where, but we do know how. And because we know how, it let's us bear up underneath incredible pressure of uncertainty right now. It lets us go into places of decay. It lets us unplug from life and focus on our families and our communities. Because we don't have to get ahead. Why? Because our purposes and our plans are changed now. The goal no longer is material success. It's not relational success. It's not monetary success. It's obey and stay because of him, death and resurrection. Let me just try to give you one quick example of how this works. If you are working for justice as a secular individual, which means there's no hope. uh, You you come from nothing, you're going to go to nothing. That means everything when it comes to justice is on your shoulders right now. Everything is up to you. It's all on you. There is no tomorrow. You don't know how it's going to work out in, in the end, but a Christian who works for justice you know exactly how it's going to end. You know exactly how it's going to work out. Even when it looks bad, you never lose hope or joy because the future is secure. It actually gives you more reasons to work harder because you already know the answer. Why? Because justice is either going to come now or justice is going to come later. Restoration is going to either come now or it's going to come later. But it's going to happen and that gives us grounds to go further in, to go further out. Measured rooted but certain whatever storyline you're in right now put yourself in this greater one see the death and resurrection already done for you plunge that into the depths of your heart and it will move you out in profound ways in certain ways let's pray heavenly father um How do we live a life of faith in uncertain times? Um, a lot of times we just want to throw our hands up in the air and say we don't know. But um, you've you've already shown us that, we, that some of us are on a, you know, what we think is successful. Some of us think we're on a list that we think are others. And you show us that either list actually end in the same place in your love. Some of us will be known, some of us will not be known. And, and ultimately, it doesn't matter, Father, as we, as we love and care and serve. Turn our hearts and minds towards you and all that we do. We, it, it, um, I pray this, to, this, does, this doesn't make us, um, this truth isn't supposed to, nor should it, if we actually really understood it, to uh, sit down and relax. It actually lets us go further in, further up, further out. Um, let that be true to us we pray things in your name
0: Amen thanks for tuning in to our church podcast we pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith we hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com